Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm here with Brian Marshauser and Tom Walagorski and Bob Dumas. They are the editors of our five newspapers that we publish. Maypack News, The Somers Record, Yorktown News, North Salem News, and the Katona Lewis Bro Times, published through Halston Media. I'm going to launch right into this. We haven't met for you know a few weeks, and I just want to launch right into some of the biggest topics. I know, um, Brian, you were talking about a new state law that's come into effect and it's pissed off some, I guess, some people in your town, I believe. Well, to clarify, I don't think it's approved yet, which is why the Yorktown Town Board is discussing it at its meeting a few nights ago. I think they're basically a bunch of local legislators are getting together to kind of send a harshly worded letter to basically say, you know, that this isn't right. We don't want this. And I, I just listened to it last night. So my best understanding of it is that it will basically any residential property, any it doesn't have to be a residential property. I'm trying to choose my words carefully. If there is a residence built on any property, even if it's in a commercial zone, that residential unit is allowed to build an accessory dwelling unit. An accessory dwelling unit, Yorktown planning director uh, John Tegeter described last night. He goes, you know, think mother daughter, those type of homes. Like it basically, uh, you can build a. It could either be legalized an apartment in the basement, something like that, in the garage, or you can build an actual different structure on the property. I don't know quite the parameters of how big they're allowed or anything like that. But basically, he says, you know, this would just completely overrule Yorktown's own accessory dwelling code and any other municipalities. It's it's a one-size-fits-all law that's being proposed for all of New York. So New York City and Yorktown, Buffalo, it doesn't matter. They'll be treated the same way. And I know one particular thing that he was mad about was that, not mad, but um, he was perplexed. I've never seen him like this. He's a very even-keeled guy. And he says it's something like he's never seen before. Do they know why the, the state's talking about this now? I, I, see, I haven't done my full reporting yet because okay. I just I, I, yeah, I, sure. I just listened to this last night. Of course. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the state's intent. I know they were careful to say, you know, the, the, the intent's laudable. I suppose it's to create more... Uh, apartments, you know, in, in single family zones, or it's, you know, single family areas, we, you know, I guess create more units for people. But basically, it's the same same discussion just in, that we've been having for years about how home rule, you know, the, the towns want control over their own zoning codes. And sometimes the state and federal government says, we know better than you. And, you know, but I, I know one one particular area that has them perplexed is that the town's own accessory dwelling unit code says 10 feet setback from your neighbor's property line. Mm-hmm. But the state code says four feet. Oh, wow. So you can build an apartment that's four feet from your neighbor's property line. And your neighbor can also build one that's four feet from the, your property line. So you could have two dwelling units eight feet from each other. But, I, yeah, I don't understand people being upset by that. He was just, uh, I, I know there's even more to it than that. Like I said, I haven't done my reporting yet. I just heard this last night and said, wow, the, you know, I've never quite heard him so upset. Basically, I mean, I think what the town is saying I mean, the town should be able to decide what is aesthetically beautiful also. I mean, right. That, you know, that was part of what he's saying. He's like, yeah. they don't know our communities. How can a one size fits all law work like this? Because they, they don't know the character of our community. 
they just don't. That debate's been having happening forever. You know, it happened with the the debate with the county and housing of urban housing and urban development, you know, with the affordable housing units. It's the same thing. You know, at the end of it, they wanted the town to adopt the model towns to adopt the model ordinance, which required them to bake this uh, affordable housing requirement into their laws. And you know, I think it, at the end of the day, they were just annoyed that the Fed wanted control over local zoning codes. And I think it's kind of similar here with the state. So interesting. Another topic that is really hitting, it seems like all of us, uh, and I know, um, Tom, you also want to tie in with this is uh, heating bills. Actually, Tom, I'll let you lead off this discussion because I know that you got inundated with the electricity bill. Sorry, you got inundated. Yeah, no, yesterday. I had, uh, I had uh, quite a few conversations with people from the uh, Heritage Hills community in Somers yesterday because everybody's been getting their uh, their electric bills. And yeah, they have uh, they have gone up considerably. Um, I heard from some people that their bill had increased more than 100 percent, you know, 75 percent, 80 percent from, you know, from one month to the next and everything. And just, uh, you know, people understandably very upset trying to reach out to their local government, going all the way up the chain and, uh, you know, eventually ending up at the newspaper and trying to trying to figure out exactly what's going on with this. And it really seems like it's just the, you know, it's a matter of supply and demand and that this is really out of like, you know, companies like Cod Edison's hands. Like there's, it's just that time of year and everybody's bill is just going up astronomically. And Heritage Hills in particular, I believe, I'm assuming those structures are made so that, you know, it's not oil heat or anything like that. It's all, it's all electric heat, right? Yeah. It's all electric heat. And you know what a few people said, and this is, uh, you know, I I definitely feel for them. And this is, you know, a little, you know, a little sad, but saying that, you know, a couple of them actually referenced that they were on fixed incomes and that getting a bill of this size is very problematic, you know, even from, you know, one month jump and just from, you know, some of the research that I was doing with, you know, with some of like the, like the department of energy projects, they're saying that this could, you know, this could happen next month. This could happen into April, depending on how the rest of the winter goes and everything. And yeah, for people on fixed incomes, I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not. A that, and that's man. the problem with inflation. I mean, the inflation definitely hurts senior citizens probably more than any other part of the population, because if, if people are, are in their retirement years and on fixed incomes, I'm assuming you know, social security doesn't go up with inflation. Yeah, I also imagine same, a lot of same them have, level. Yeah. I imagine a lot of them have bonds and things like that, but even those probably are not increasing at the same rate as inflation at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I was, uh, you know, telling everybody at our, at our staff meeting yesterday, I mean, I'm, I'm two weeks away from being a homeowner and you know, mm-hmm. the, things like this terrify me. I'm not exactly a rich man here. You think, especially well, too, if this yeah. is projected to go on for, you know, for a month or so where your energy bills, your electric and everything. I mean, I know heating oil is up as well. That's a nasty letter to get right there. Did they say about how much they're going up percentage-wise or about what kind of increases they're talking about here with these bills? The people that I spoke with, I mean, the worst of it, one uh, one gentleman was up over 100%, like his bill more than like double. double. Yeah, and I can shed a little light on that. And I got my Con Ed bill on February 1st. So like everyone else, I went to Facebook and, and social media was just a buzz with people. They were enraged. My bill went from 100 to 185, and, and you know I'm I'm lucky because you know we just have two people living here, so we don't use a ton of electricity. But for people whose bills were like 300, you imagine you know, they went from 300 to like 550 and stuff like that. And you know, if you look at the bill closely, what you have to look at is so the purchase price of electricity just went up. They were paying last month, I believe I wrote this on my Twitter account. Uh, they paid about five cents per kilowatt. Or a little more, like five and a half cents per kilowatt. Yeah, I saw it was at uh, uh, six cents, but yeah, five and kilowatt half. hour. And then that went up this month to about seventeen cents per kilowatt hour. Wow! So it it, it nearly tripled. That's just one part of your bill. Yeah. So it, no matter what you did, um, if you use the same amount of electricity, you're paying a lot more. 
That's driven really by the commodities market. If you look at the changes over the last year, the price of natural gas, and this is dated February 2nd, I'm looking at, increased by 67%. And you know, it's the same thing as heating oil too. My bill went from to deliver a full tank went from about uh, $300 something dollars, $400 something dollars. Now, last month, it was $900. I got very lucky with my uh, heating oil because um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall before all the inflation. I locked in for a yeah, whole year. Smart. So I'm a little bit afraid of your, you know. Well, yeah, locking yeah. in a price is it's yeah. risk reward. It's, you know, if it goes down, you, you, you're screwed. But yeah, right. yeah. Well, no, that's why at least you don't have to worry about it. It's just, it is what it is for a year and then. Yeah. Well, for now, people invested in those commodities a year ago, they're sitting pretty now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You, I'm looking at the whole commodity price of coffee is up 92%. Heating oil is up 64%. Yeah. Everyone's talking about coffee is the next one that's going to be uh, uh, the prices are going to go up. So, yeah. Coffee's expensive. <laughs> so is the orange juice. Yeah. yeah um, also, uh, just something of like the response to this and everything, because uh, another woman that I spoke with said that she started with the governor and went all the way down and listed all the people, you know, representatives of government who wouldn't answer their phone. And then she was happy that at least I answered the phone. Well, one of the ones that she reached out to about this was uh, Senator Pete Harkham. And I noticed that his office already put out a press release in response to this. I saw um, yeah. basically saying that, like, you know, he's calling for expanded customer rights. And I think a lot of the problem, too, is that people felt sandbagged by this, that they had no idea this was coming. And then all of a sudden you get this bill that's double or more than double and everything. I have a question for everyone. And I don't know the status of this yet. Um, I actually had the opportunity a few years ago to actually tour it. I, I toured Indian Point several years ago and it, and it was in operation when I went toward it. Is this a stupid question here? Is it still in operation or is it done? I don't know. Google is our friend. So let's yeah, look right. it up. Ask the supercomputer here. Um, <laughs> I thought they were in the process of shutting it down. I'm not actually sure. It is in the process of shutting down. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's, it's still being decommissioned. It looks like. Because I I, I, I've got to presume that it's applied to this area, though, even when it was up full steam. Okay. I think that was mostly New York City. Yeah. No, um, I so. think it supply. It didn't supply like um, the Westchester towns around it. I don't think so. Okay. I, I actually don't know that much. So yeah. I, I wish I could answer that question, but I don't. We worked with it a lot when I was at the North County News, and if I remember correctly, it didn't. They were all uh, comment people, you know. Yeah. One of the most common refrains I saw on social media was everyone saying, "Well, I wasn't thinking of going solar, but but now I definitely am." So. So I think a lot of people are looking at the putting solar on their roofs now. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I don't think you're going to see a, you're a big spike with that kind of offset these costs. I don't know. I have some neighbors who have them. And, you know, it's it's a big initial cost up front. But they say, you know, over time, they, they you know, it makes it worth it. But, you know, I haven't researched it enough. I've contemplated it. I have to say, I, I wish like for homeowners, they had kind of the same deals that they do with like some of the larger like municipalities. I mean, don't they like guarantee that you're going to save money for some of the municipalities that have gone that way? So, or school well, districts. You can join a community solar plan and not put panels on your roof and you still get a savings every month. I think that's why they're building all these solar farms. Yeah. So I, th I think it's just a matter of getting on that list somehow. And, and you know, you become a one of 500 residents who can take advantage of it. And every month on your bill, you're just going to see a credit, you know, like okay. $20. Basically. Yeah. Does that energy necessarily get delivered to your house or you're just saving because you joined the solar farm? I just did an interview with Ecogee which is one of these, they're a Brooklyn-based company, but they are behind so many of these solar farm projects around here or, or like even rooftop projects. I don't know the answer to that. The specifics of it, I, you know, I always get more fluent in this stuff when I start writing and researching it. I haven't done that yet for this story. So, yeah. um, but I, I just don't know the exacts of that. De definitely interesting stuff. 
And actually, what was very interesting, you know, people, the, the, the government, you know, definitely always encourages everyone to get like, to go to hybrid vehicles and, you know, electric vehicles. I'm assuming uh, charging your uh, a Tesla now is getting a little bit more expensive than yeah, right. Yeah. That's that great of an investment. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think everything. If electricity and gas are both up, so yeah, you no. Know. All right, let's let's go to a different topic. I know uh, one fun one that was in your town, Brian. Was it your town or Katona? I forget now. Yorktown. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so a middle school speech pathologist, Jen Sperano, she actually lives in Pleasantville. Uh, she appeared on and won her game of Wheel of Fortune the other night. It's actually a pretty like heartfelt story um, in the sense that when lockdowns began in March 2020, she started living with her 99-year-old grandma. And they bonded over, you know, they would watch Wheel of Fortune every night. And her grandma said, you know, I, I think you could be on this show. And, you know, she's like, no, no, no. And then, then sadly, her, her grandma died in April 2021. And she was out in California last year living with her boyfriend over the summer and she just got the idea you know hey the studios are right down the road um maybe i'll you know go try out but you know it actually turns out they were virtual anyway so she had to uh do the audition virtually even though she was uh, you know stone's throw from the wheel of fortune studios so she she you know she tried out and they liked her she took all these practice games and, and they said you know be, be prepared you know either in the next two months or two years we'll get back to you and you'll be on the show and they got back to her quicker than they thought and she appeared on the show a couple nights ago. I forget exactly when she filmed. It might have been in November or something like that. But I, uh, she, yeah, she appeared on the show a couple nights ago and she won. Um, How much she, did she win? 17,000. She, right. she basically, it was, she won all these toss-ups in the beginning. She was great at those. And then she won one puzzle when basically she got a $10,000 um, slice of the pie there. And, and that basically propelled her to uh, appearing in the, she won her game and she, yeah, she got, she got that bonus round. But it was impressive. Yeah, and, and and she says she wore red in, in memory of her grandma too because red was her favorite color. So it was very very sad. She she played the game in memory of her grandma and she won. So yeah, nice story. That is nice. And you you get so much mileage out of your people in your towns being on game shows. Crazy, man. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I was thinking of this the other day. So I've interviewed. We've interviewed now two people who've appeared on Wheel of Fortune. Uh, one person on Jeopardy. I've done a few who wants to be a millionaires in the past too. Didn't you have a family feud family? Family too? feud. Yeah. And, and then that's all was... just been in the past year since I've been here. Like that's a lot <laughs> and of then, there's even a show called like mental samurai or something hosted by Rob Lowe. That's some guy from uh, South Salem was on where they, they ask you pretty, pretty uh, easy trivia questions, but they spin you around in a chair or something. And you have to, <laughs> it's, it's still on, believe it or not. So it's not, I know, I know the episode has to air for you to get paid. That's one of the caveat of these that they, shows. Like they film pilots for all these game shows, but and you can win money. But if the show doesn't air, you don't get paid. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's kind of bogus. <laughs> well, no, I respect that. I, I tried out for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire way back when, and it was impossible. The test to be on the thing, like they, yeah. they just beat you up on that. I've tried Jeopardy. I know I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't win. I know, like, I would just hold my own, especially through the sports category. I think I'd be like hovering around, you know, second place or something. But I, 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 I would just see have you to... having a good, solid, like, three to five. Day it it depends on the categories, you know. If it's Russian literature or the Bible, uh, you know, I'm screwed. Yeah, if you get final well, they... Japanese opera, you're you're done. <laughs> well, they say a lot of it is how quick you are in the buzzer. You, know, yes, you can know yeah, all exactly. the answers in the world, and if you're not good with the buzzer, you're gonna. Oh, if you notice, yeah. if you watch the games, people click in. I think. They don't even know the answer. They just want to click in. And yeah. I think then like they're, sometimes they're just totally surprised they actually were, were selected. So I think that's part of the game, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Now I have to ask, have, have all you guys joined the Wordle craze? Yes. Oh, love Wordle. 
Yeah, I, I do that every morning. And the first thing I do when I wake up and it's uh, is actually, you know, stimulate your brain. It's a little bit like Will of Fortune. And I have to say, sometimes Wordle's really hard. Been doing it for two weeks. I, I've solved each one, but I could never imagine doing that in front of an audience trying to be quick. <laughs> that, that would be very, very, very difficult. Yeah. Have you guys played today's? No, not yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, saving, I'm saving that for after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at word games. I, you know, I'm, words are my business in my life, and I'm terrible at things like Scrabble and crossword puzzles. And just so I see Wordle pop up on Facebook, and that's like I didn't come on Facebook to be quizzed. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, it's actually it's a lot of fun. It definitely is well, a lot of fun. I'll have you know, I just played Wordle right now, and I just got in two guesses. Ooh, oh, that's nice. awesome! Very, very good. Now, do you have the same word for the first word? No, I just week? totally guess. I just, I, I, oh. it, I, it, it strikes me when I open the game. It's very chaotic. But I, don't, I, I was doing one word, and then I just decided, you know what? I'm just completely switching it up. And every every time I open it, say, think of the five letter word and just that, just throw it out there. So I always use the word share because hmm. it, you know two vowels in it. You know, so uh, I think having like, two vowels in the first word, especially, is is valuable. For some reason, I like to throw out a word that has like a random letter in it. That's not like a like you know you know R L S T N E is it the Wheel of Fortune. I like to just throw out like a word that has like a P or a G or a K in it, just to be like I feel like they always pick a word like that. And then yeah. I don't know. That's so funny. <laughs> I was saying to my wife, if I ever get it on the first try, I'm just going to quit. Like I feel like that's <laughs> you can go out on a high note. Back to what we were saying. The, yeah. I just got an email right now. The town of Yorktown is calling a press conference Friday, February 11th. We're filming this on the 10th. About the rate hikes to protest the utility rates rate hikes tomorrow. So wow, all right, good. There good, you go. Good, good. We're gonna go. I, I know uh, Tom. You wanted to uh, mention the verdict of a drunk driver in Somers. Yeah, actually, well, I have uh, kind of two stories I want to touch on. Um, yeah. go with the sad, gonna go with the sad one first. Um, so they finally had the. Uh, this is kind of like an ongoing story for the past two years. There was uh, finally a verdict rendered in the uh, trial of uh, Jamie Picard. He was a uh, Somers guy who was um, arrested in a, uh, a drunk driving accident where uh, two people were killed. Uh, how, how old was he? Uh, 51 years old. Okay. The accident was in January of 2020. Basically, he was uh, driving the wrong way on uh, I-287 on the uh, White Plains Harrison border and, you know, uh, on collision with another car that killed two people. So he was facing, you know, uh, as you can imagine, like a litany of charges and everything. And the what, one of the more the unusual thing was that he was actually facing a charge of uh, second degree murder, which is a very. Uh, I have a friend who's a defense attorney, and he was, uh, you know, explained to me that it's very unusual, even in like drunk driving fatalities. You know, usually you're looking at vehicular manslaughter, vehicular homicide. Uh, vehicular homicide was what we, he was convicted of, but the uh, second degree murder charge was unusual because they were trying to argue that it demonstrated a depraved indifference to human life. Essentially, he had gotten in several smaller accidents mm. before he got in the final collision. And they're saying the the prosecution argued on, on, on the same day. You're talking the about same, the same day. Yes, right, mm-hmm. yeah, he had like sideswiped some cars and had yeah. a few near misses. And actually, at one point, he pulled over and then continued to try to drive home. So he had multiple chances to stop what he was doing and didn't. And that's what they were trying to argue. It was a non-jury trial, and the judge actually ruled that the prosecution had not proved that kind of indifference to human life. So, yeah, he was convicted of the um, vehicular homicide, not second-degree murder. I mean, a whole bunch of other charges. But he's not being sentenced till the end of March, but he could be looking at either one to three or as many as like eight and a half to 25 years. Wow. So, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's kind of a sad story all around. But Of um, course, of course, it's sad. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's sad for the people, you know, the families of people who died. You know, it's also sad for, you know, the person who's getting convicted, you know, for, for their family as well. 
Oh, sure. absolutely. Yeah. And it'll be, yeah. um, you know, the, the last thing that we'll probably touch on with this um, is when the sentencing actually happens, because, yeah. you know, looking at, you know, the, you know, the, all the charges that he was facing and, you know, especially, you know, two people killed and that he could only get one to three years, which I thought was unusual. But, you know, we have to see what the sentencing is at the end of March. Really sad story all around, but, you know, at least it has, you know, some kind of ending now. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the positive story now. Yeah, yeah. I had to, had to end Somers on a happy note here. So um, this is something that was just brought to our attention yesterday, but we have a, a local small business owner that is actually being featured in a Super Bowl ad. I know this podcast will be airing after the Super Bowl, but when we have the article about it, we will make the link to the video available. She owns a tie-dye shop in Baldwin Place. It's called Brown Dyed Girl, which I thought was an awesome name. Hmm. And basically, her clothing is being featured in a ad for Hellman's Mayonnaise. And oh, it's gonna be, her clothing is going to be worn by uh, Pete Davidson, if everybody's oh. familiar with him. He's uh, the guy from Saturday Night Live that's just apparently going on a tear dating every actress in Hollywood. And yeah, he's wearing the tie-dye shirt. He gets tackled by a uh, former Patriots linebacker, and he's pitching Hellman's Mayonnaise. So it's a, uh, no, it's definitely a nice, you know, a nice win for a, a small local business. And as far as I can figure, being featured in a Super Bowl ad is probably like the top advertising you can get. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and have a nice, uh, nice story about that. We were saying, oh, we wish that we could have got it in before the game, but just got brought to our attention. Yeah. Unfortunately, I stopped watching Saturday Night Live probably around the time that Adam Sandler was on. So I didn't know who Pete Davidson really was. And then actually our reporter, Carol, she's like, oh, he's dating Kim Kardashian now. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, yeah, that was unusual coming from Carol. <laughs> Well, I think Rick yeah. Melling satirized that in his most recent column. Oh, that's when I started looking up all of the women that he's dated. Yeah. And Brian, um, I know you have uh, another Super Bowl story that you want to share. Yeah. Uh, you know, every year we somehow find some sort of local connection for our big game uh, section that we publish every year. Uh, I love it. I, I know three years ago we interviewed Dave Taub, who is the assistant coach on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he won a Super Bowl. He's from Mayapak. Uh, that was cool. And this year, the equipment director on the Los Angeles Rams is a North Salem native and graduated North Salem High School in 2004. And he also has a connection to the Katona Lewisboro area because he played on the John Jay football team. As Tom is well aware, North Salem does not have a football team. So I don't know. <laughs> no, does that still happen? Do North Salem students play on, um, on other football I teams? I don't they know want? if they play on other football teams. I think they probably. I know they, they they combine for a lot of other sports. Like in they skiing. do, they just don't have anybody at the moment. Yeah, okay. yeah. So maybe there's not a ton of interest in the North Salem community. But I, I think for other sports, they combine. They, they have a combined skiing team. And I think some wrestling, uh, not wrestling, but... Um, well, no wrestlers this year. They have a couple guys on the Bison's hockey team. Yeah, in North Salem, sometimes they wrestle on Somers. And yeah. so, yeah, for a smaller school like that, that they have in a lot of those mergers. But yeah, so... Yeah, hockey. <laughs> yeah the Bison's team. That's, that's, that's the famous one around here. It's B-Y-S-N-S. So Brewster, Yorktown, North Salem, Somers. Oh, okay. So, Somers, North Salem, I should Which say. is great. We get, we get a lot of mileage out of those stories. <laughs> so, I know, the Bison's, yeah. Are they the Bison's Bison? Bison's Bison's? I don't know. I, I think just the Bison's, bison's and Mike Sabini always used to make a point to say pronounced Bison's. Like I know. <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering if their mascot was actually the Bison. Otherwise, oh, that, no, it's actually a Bison. The bison. The they, bison they, they went all in on that acronym there. So, yeah. So I got side sidetracked, which happens a lot. Brendan Berger. So he's the equipment now, director now for the Los Angeles Rams. And he kind of got into this, you know, after high school, he wanted to continue in the field of sports. So he 
went to Springfield College in Massachusetts. He was getting a degree in sports management. Between his junior and senior years, he interned for the Miami Dolphins. Wasn't supposed to be, you know, on the equipment team. He was just kind of supposed to be an off-season intern, then go back to school in the fall. But one of their full-season interns kind of quit right before the year, and an opportunity opened up, and they're like, you know, you want to stay for the season? So he stuck around in Miami for the Dolphins that year, you know, and then he went back to school and got his finished his degree in the in the winter, and that kind of just opened. You know, after college, he worked for the Jets for a while, and then he bounced around. You know, went, went to Rutgers. Actually, I think he went to UCLA first, you know, out there. Then he came back to Rutgers. And Sean McVay, do you guys have any big football fans here? Sorry. No, so, uh, the, the name kind so of catches. Sean McVay nothing. is one of the brightest coaching stars in football. He he was hired at 30 years old to be a head coach, which is like insane. And, and he had great success. He made the Super Bowl at age 33 or 32. And the league's really tried to emulate ever since. They, they keep trying to hire. It's called the Sean McVay effect, where they hire a bunch of young coaches, offensive-minded. So, But anyway, he gets a call a couple of years ago from a guy claiming to be Sean McVay. And he's like, yeah, right. You know, um, <laughs> and they had an opening for their equipment director. And I guess he had heard his name from a couple of people and, and he was the guy that he wanted. And he's like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, so he, he, very, he moved out to L.A., became their equipment director. That's where he's been the last couple of years. So basically, he described his job. Um, he manages a team of 10 people. He described his job as being like a roadie. We set it up. The stars come in and do their show and then we take it down. Um, you know, they, they are, they're on top of everything. You know, they set up practice drills. They make sure the jerseys are ready and all that stuff. And even the food preparation, not food preparation, but making sure they get the food delivered on time. It's all, it's everything. They, they're on top of everything. It's going to be somewhat of a stressful job. I mean, you have to Probably, do, yeah, you have to yeah. do it well. I mean, you can't mess up. He gets an off you know, which is kind of yeah. nice. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he basically said, we're, we're football junkies. You know, he, he got to stand on the sideline. If you watch the video, the final seconds of the NFC title game, He's on the sidelines standing right next to Sean McVay as the clock ticks down and the Rams about to go to the Super Bowl. So it's pretty cool. So, yeah, he, he's pretty excited about the Super Bowl. And, and what makes his job a little easier this week is for the second straight year, the Super Bowl will feature a team playing in its home stadium. So the Rams are actually playing the game in their home stadium. So, you know, it, it doesn't involve any travel for them or any different hotel accommodations or anything like that. It's just kind of the same deal. But even though it's not really a home game, it's the NFL. He goes, it's the NFL's game. It's not my game, you know. It, but it, it's interesting quirks, you know. Now, gonna, is that is that an unfair advantage to the home team? Probably, but it's not. It's yeah. totally random when they pick these. Um, they pick you know, them. Yeah, they, yeah, they have no clue who's going to be playing. Yeah, it's, it's like the Olympics, right? So it only know. happened one other time, right? Like yeah, yeah last which, year, which was last year, which was yeah. In 54 years, it's never happened where the, the home team played the Super Bowl, but uh, happened now two years in a row. And yeah, it clearly worked in Tampa Bay's favor last year. They, they drubbed the Chiefs. Um, and, and this year, the Rams are playing at home against the Bengals and Brandon Berger will be right there on the sideline. You know, so it's kind of cool. But it's not like local fans have more access to the tickets, you know. That, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's easier for them to get to the game than people from Cincinnati. That's for sure. So, but the, I, I went on StubHub just, just for a lark, just because I just wanted to, I, I like going on StubHub and just checking out Super Bowl tickets. How much but was the, it? The cheapest one I saw was $5,200. Oh, oh, wow. I mean, if somebody offered me tickets, I would totally go, but I mean, come on. Like that's, that's the yeah. cheapest was 5200 52 just to get in the building. Yeah. Oy. I hate to say this. If, if the NFL wants to really embrace, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, they should lower the prices of their tickets. 
to make it so that people who are not super wealthy can also afford to go. Adding some politics <laughs> to the NFL. Sprinkle some politics. On I see what you were trying to do. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bob, go, we're going to you here. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of some interesting things I think, you know, pertain to all of our towns. So, you yeah. know, if you could, if you could jump into that. Well, yeah, I will. Uh, and it's all, you know, they're different stories, but the one thing they all have in common is COVID. Before I get into that, one thing that I forgot, and I just want to give a shout out. We didn't discuss this in the pre-meeting meeting. I want to give a shout out to, uh, we just did a story on her, to Amanda Epolito, who is a Mayapak High School graduate, 2018. Mayapak has developed this reputation for producing music stars. Mm. And she is the latest one to join the club. I mean, we had Amanda Ayella, who was on The Voice and just had a number one charting single on the independent pop charts. And then we had Holly Block, who wrote and starred in a off-Broadway musical that is now award-nominated. And now we have Amanda Epolito, who has joined, and she uh, graduated college and has moved to Nashville, which is like the songwriting capital of the world, where she just dropped her debut album, just came out January 28th. It's called The Show Must Go On, and it's really good, and it's available on all the typical online streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify, etc. And we did a big interview, and we have a feature in the Your Neighbor section of her in this upcoming issue. So... Another music star comes out of Mayapak, which I think is really very cool. cool. Very you cool. Know, and she starred in like all the high school musicals and of course Illusion, which is seems to be the the breeding ground for all these stars, that illusion concert that they put on every year that's becoming more and more extravagant. Um so I just wanted to talk on that. Now getting to my other stories. It's budget season for the school districts. So, uh, Mayapak School District just kicked off Thursday at a meeting first to discuss the revenue side of the budget. All the numbers are preliminary, but they're starting to get an indication from Albany what the state aid is going to be. And one of the things they're concerned about, and like I said, I imagine this is going to be applicable to all school districts throughout New York, including all the ones in our sister communities, that state aid is often based on what you did the year before and how much money you spent on transportation and, and food services and things like that. And with students doing remote learning and not taking buses as much and that sort of thing, they did a hybrid for a while, but they didn't spend as much money on transportation. So state aid for transportation and food is going to be much lower this year, even though everybody's back in school full time. So Superintendent Anthony DiCarlo and the school board are very concerned about this and they feel they're being punished for something that was totally out of their control. So they're pushing Senator Harcum and Assemblyman Byrne to carry the message back up to Albany that they need to find a new formula for figuring out state aid. It shouldn't be based on what you did last year because last year was an anomaly and so that's still very much in the preliminary stages but we'll be keeping an eye on that see how that goes the other story is the american rescue plan which is the uh biden's uh COVID plan where every municipality every county every state is getting some money to help 
recover from the pandemic. Are, are school districts getting that money also? Out of curiosity, yeah, school districts. Yeah, yeah, Mayapak school district got some. So they're, maybe they're still, maybe that can go pay for the transportation. Well, yeah, that, yeah. they want that. Yeah, they're going to use some of it for that. There's certain things they're not allowed to use it for. And that varies like the rules for municipalities different than for school districts. They can't use it for administrative stuff, but towns can use it for things like infrastructure and they can use it actually to help local businesses and stuff like that and give them money, which I know uh, Carmel plans on doing. Putnam County got $19 million and the first money, $400,000 that they allocated was to the Putnam County Golf Course. Uh, they were doing some work there and they discovered as, asbestos. And so they need to do asbestos abatement and some uh, electrical rewiring stuff. And so the first amount of money. So Democrats and other people are a little upset because they knew back in last year that they're going to have to figure out how to spend this money. And well, they're not opposed to spending it on that. They felt it shouldn't have been a priority that the first allocation of this money should have been to things like social service agencies, businesses, mental health programs, infrastructure like road repair and sewer and water and things of that nature. So the money's already been allocated. So it's a little bit like, you know, locking the barn door after the horse has been stolen, but We'll be keeping an eye on how, you know, they're putting together a list right now, the county is, for how they're going to spend the rest of the money. And I'm sure a lot of these programs and things will get some of it. And how do they choose businesses out of curiosity? I mean, are they choosing like restaurants because they were forced to close? Yeah, there's an application. You know, I'm not sure of the exact machinations of how that goes down, but there is a process. And when Ken Schmidt was in office, he said he wanted to do some of that for Carmel, but they were waiting for and I hear this word a lot, guidance from from Albany and, and, and how that will work, you know. Like, I'd be curious uh, if we can if we can all stay on top of that. I I'd be curious to know if you know if, if all of our towns are helping out small businesses or local businesses. I do think that could be a interesting story for all of our towns. I, I know when the federal that. government was constructing this and I heard Biden talk about it on several occasions that they were hoping that some of the money would go to provide a shot in the arm to local businesses that really suffered during the pandemic. And I suppose restaurants would certainly be at the top of the list there. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting that the PPP that went out to small businesses, we were beneficiaries of PPP at Halston Media. The reason it worked really well for us is because we didn't furlough anyone. We, we kept our operations going. Our revenue went way down because our advertising went way down. So it, it was very helpful for us. But for a restaurant that couldn't even operate, you know, there was you know, many restaurants that just shut down. I know some did really well with takeout, but, you know, there was small retail stores that shut down, restaurants that shut down. If they couldn't operate, then, you know, PPP didn't really help because they had to keep their employees employed. And I know in many instances, employees were making more money off uh, unemployment than PPP. I, I've talked to some business owners who said that they, they couldn't keep their employees employed because of that. So it's it's all very interesting. Yeah, well, it's funny because the golf course is a business. It is an independent business. And yeah. last year it made a profit, you know, a net profit of $271,000. And that's what the critics are saying. Plus, the county gives it $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars every year as a line item in their budget. So right away, there's a half a million dollars. And they said they should have used their own money 
to do this asbestos abatement and instead of taking from the COVID money, uh, which could have been spent in more productive manner, some of the critics felt. So um, it's an interesting thing because it's definitely uh, partisan politics going on there. That being said, I will say Putnam Golf Course, it's very beautiful. You know, I'm not a huge golfer, so, uh, you know, I, I'm not very discerning about you know, how nice Have I golf. you played it? I've played it, you know, I've, I've, I've probably played it maybe like, you know, half a dozen times. But yeah, it's one of the nicer courses it, around. It, it's very pretty and, you know, well-maintained for, for a public course. And I also say it's very affordable, very, very affordable. So, you know, at least at least as a county course, they make it affordable for everyone to buy. Well, you know, and that's the ongoing debate is uh, between the Republicans and the Democrats. The Democrats feel that these are boondoggles. You know, these are, you know, that the Republicans spent all this money on the golf course, on Tilly Foster Farm and all these things. Whereas like County Executive Mary Dell feels these are great tourist attractions that draw people and thus money to the community. Uh, and the fact that the golf course has been profitable and that the Tilly Foster Farm seems to be, you know, with its concert series and educational programs, they seem to be realizing their potential. So yeah. I have to say the, the barbecues with, with also the uh, concerts at the golf course. I mean, I saw, great, aren't they? <laughs> I saw the Billy Joel one and yeah. uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, yeah. The Billy Joel cover band was just incredible. And I think the yeah. guy was like, I think he's one of the top Billy Joel band members. Yeah, was it Big Shot? Was that yes, one? I think it was Big Shot. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. Big Shot. I love Big Shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're very yeah. good. And we went there, if you remember, a couple of years ago for my birthday for the um, Tramps Like Us, the Bruce Springsteen tribute band. And that was... Their, their did I go to that one? Yes, you did. Okay. Yeah. I don't like yeah. Bruce Springsteen, so... Oh, yeah, so blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> he's my favorite. Oh, yeah. Uh. yeah. Awful well, you know, when, <laughs> you know, if you like him and you saw ever see tramps like us, he you, doesn't even sit. Sure he Brian just like shouts the right? songs. Brian, you know he's, that, like that's, that's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of soul in his voice. Yeah. yeah, he shouts some of his songs, but that's a very small minority of them. Shouts um, his soul, though. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, they're they, you know people have seen tramps like us. You know, as, you know they say they're amazing and just like the Billy Joel version. They do a great job. But anyway, yeah, the golf course puts on some great programming as well. So, you know, that's the debate going on right now is how this uh, American Rescue Plan money should be divvied up. Great, great. Well, gentlemen, is there anything else you guys would like to add before uh, we end the show? No, no? I'm good. No, good, good. Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Thank me, you so much. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. Thanks. And, uh, I'm going to make you a Bruce Springsteen playlist. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. I'll yeah. talk to you later. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>